Hey, what's up? Welcome to the podcast. This is Ed Die Here we're t- going to talk about horror and paranormal and things and everything here, there, and in between. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media. On Twitter and Facebook, it's Ed Die Podcast. If you want to get a hold of me directly, it's Is Ed Die Dead at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, which is also the name of the website, isedieddead.com. You'll get the links for the stuff that we discussed on the show. And today we're talking to a friend of mine who I've known for a while, Comedian Glenn Tickle, the man behind Jerk the Magazine. He's been doing tons of online comedy stuff uh, recently. The man is a comedian, a nerd, a weird dad, and big into Buckaroo Banzai, which is going to be some of the stuff we discuss along with um, some of the views on horror and paranormal and things that happen here and there. So without further ado, let's talk to Mr. Tickle. I've been doing more live shows through a booking agent and I'm like, Hey man, can you just send me like the beginning of every week and like a list of all the shows you have me scheduled for that week? And he's like, don't you already have them on your calendar? And I'm like, yeah, no, I do. But like, it would genuinely really help <laughs> if it's just like Monday mornings, I just had like an itinerary. Cause otherwise I'm worried I was going to like miss one, you know, especially cause I was doing a ton of virtual shows. Mm-hmm. And there would be ones where I'm doing like three or four in a day. I'm like, I genuinely can't keep the details straight of who I'm doing a show for. I just know what time I need to be on a Zoom link. So I really need like, just send me a list with links that I can click. Uh, and he's like, I just give me the I, give me give me the link and the details of what the hell I'm doing that day. And <laughs> yeah, like right before uh, my earlier this morning, uh, I had to do a call for a corporate gig that I'm doing, they want every corporate gig I do wants to do like a meeting with me beforehand, but they all just want the same exact things. They just want me to tell them that I'm not going to be like dirty or controversial. And they want to tell me a little bit about their company, even though I don't care and it's not going to affect what material I do at all. It's uh, like, I don't, I'm not going to write new jokes for your company. I'm just going to show up and do whatever I want. (laughs) And I don't know, like if I find out what basic industry you're in, I might have a slightly related bit I could work in, but I'm not like writing a new show every time I do a corporate gig. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I've already started recording and I might just leave in some of this uh, chatter already. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. I I hit, I hit record two and a half minutes ago. So, (laughs) well, I was, I could do the whole intro here, or I'll just pre-record it and put it in. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. But um, what you just said made me think of the fact of um, you know, um, the corporations want to know what you're going to talk about and this and that. And then what comes to mind is Mel Brooks in History of the World and not reading the room and doing his joke about the king. Yes. You haven't fallen into that situation, have you? No, uh, I did have one where it was, I did the the pre-show meeting that companies love to do. It was like the three bosses for this company and me on a Zoom call. And the one guy was like really like begging me to make fun of him. Like he's giving me like examples of other stuff that people have said to him. I'm like, oh, I mean, I could, I wasn't, I don't, I don't like roast people in my act normally. Uh, but yeah, like, I don't know, I'll, I'll make some light-hearted comments about your bad hair or whatever and then during the show i did and he like got genuinely upset like i thought he was like <laughs> pretending at first 
but he was like he seemed like really upset by the joke that i don't remember what the joke was but like it was pretty lighthearted. <laughs> it was like I, I pointed out how badly he kept bringing up that he wanted me to make fun of him and i think i i it was a corporate gig so it wasn't like yeah because that gets you horny like i implied it but I, it wasn't like that dirty i was like oh yeah this guy loves it when like people he just wants to be humiliated or something i forget what i said but he was not happy about it and i was like you spent half that phone call telling me to make fun of you you can't now be upset that i took a gentle swipe it's funny because I'm thinking to myself, what material was he giving you? He's like, talk about my male pattern baldness. You know, I have yeah. uh, erectile dysfunction. Talk about that. And then you talk about what? Something that's not that bad and he gets upset over it. He was very focused on his hair. And was it I, real? I, I, think he, I think he said, this is a while ago. I think he said that everyone thinks it's fake, but it is real. And like, that's what you would say if it was fake. Like, that's not, you're not convincing me by saying it more times you know how hard how hard is it to do especially something like that you know where the guy's like make fun of me make fun of me but when it's a virtual thing i mean is it i mean i would assume it's much easier doing it in person because you can look right at the person and pick up more things but when you're virtual and you're sharing with multiple people i mean does it become that much harder yeah i mean like i said i don't do a lot of it normally in my act like a lot of comics will do like crowd work and they'll kind of pick on people uh i don't like doing that because i mean i'm just not that interested <laughs> in the crowd like most crowd work is like hey what do you do i don't care what you do other like jobs are boring i don't want to hear about how you're an accountant or whatever like it's not i don't have an accountant joke ready to go uh i, I mean i'm a narcissist i don't want to learn about other people <laughs> So I usually don't do it, but corporate shows, they do They're like, oh, like our, the boss normally be like, oh, you can like make fun of me a little bit, but then they'll give you like an outline of what they're okay with you making fun of. I did one and, uh, the guy sent us an email with like, uh, there was like a PDF of like the breakdown of how the show was going to go. And it had included a section that he had labeled humor parameters. And I'm like, are you a robot? That's not how <laughs> humans talk. And it was like all the things we were allowed to make fun of him for. And then page five, I mean, make, protocol yeah. if comedian goes <laughs> off topic. Yeah, I'm going to make fun of the fact that you call these humor parameters, you weirdo. Like that's, I don't care that you're an avid runner. That's not fun. The fact that you write memos like you're a cyborg, that's way more entertaining. Well, not even that. What's coming to mind is, uh, do they have a meeting to make these notes before they you know that they all get together and has actually spent time yeah. to figure this out before well this was you. the most involved like pre-show stuff because it wasn't just stand-up we were like hosting an event for them uh so it was like i wasn't just doing a set like it was more way more interactive and it was virtual which is hard because you know, there's a weird delay if people's internet connection is not good. If you try to, like, interact with them directly, it, it just shuts everything down. But it was it was a wild. We had to do, I think it was, like, three meetings before the thing to figure out, oh, figure out how they wanted, how the, they event wanted the event to go. Yeah. I'm like, can't we just do stand-up? Like, I, I can just – I already know how to do that. We, we were judging it – it was a holiday party. They were doing gingerbread houses. And we were, like, judging the event. But it was, like, how on, like, British Bake Off, 
the hosts will like go around talking to people. That's what they wanted, but it was over Zoom. So we're like, that's not probably going to work that good. Um, <laughs> so we tried it, but it was, it ended up being a lot of fun, but the doing it over the internet made it way more harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've done, I did one where the um, way more delay harder. was so bad. I had delay so bad. I, w- I was like, so how are you today? And I literally counted about 20 seconds before they finally responded. Yeah. I don't, like I said, I, I don't do a lot of crowd work normally, but on Zoom, it's, there's no point because people don't necessarily know you're talking to them. Uh, they might not even really be listening, <laughs> like especially because a lot of the Zoom shows I do are corporate. People have to be there. <laughs> like it's not. Oh, <laughs> it was like mandatory fun. They didn't decide. Oh, I want to go to a comedy show. It's my boss says I have to watch this idiot for forty-five minutes. So they're not like necessarily engaged. And I'm good at comedy, so like I usually win them over by the end of it. But I get people might be hesitant. <laughs> If they're signing into a Zoom call at one in the afternoon because their boss says they have to watch comedy now, like that's you got, you got to use that hashtag now. Mandatory fun. Yeah, that was uh, the Weird Al album a couple of years ago. Oh, was it Mandatory really? Mandatory fun. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big big uh, Weird Al. I enjoy the stuff. I find it weird. I guess because. Um, in the name, yeah. As someone that's big into music, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it grates on me after hearing a song, a comedy song, uh, two or three times. Yeah, I think as I, somebody who's way more into comedy than music, like, I can't think of if there was like a musical artist that I really loved. That like if he did a parody of it, I would be like, oh, how dare he! Like, I don't think I feel that strongly <laughs> about any bands. Harvey Danger is my favorite band of all time, but if Weird Al wanted to do like a cover of or a version of Flagpole Sitta, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, he's he's offending my sensibilities." Like the song I itself is it. almost comedy, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I would love it if Weird Al did a bunch of Harvey Danger songs, not even necessarily like parodies, just a straight up cover album. He I'd should do it. actually. He should do one of those. Show people that he actually is a serious musician. I'm I'm kind of on the other side of what you're talking about. I'm more music oriented than I am comedy oriented. As much as people keep, I, I've been asked over the years when I'm going to do stand up, when I'm going to do stand up, and I have to explain to people, being funny in the way I'm being funny is conversational funny. Someone has to be talking to yeah. me. I sat in. Uh, my friend is teaching a, an intro to stand up class right now, and I sat in last weekend to like give the the new students like advice and stuff and the one point i always make with new comics is like everybody's funny around their friends because like it's situational like you're comfortable you have shared experiences you can draw from but the job of a comic and i'm i'm paraphrasing pete holmes paraphrasing somebody else and i can never remember who said it originally (laughs) but he's like Everyone is funny with their friends, but can you be funny at eight o'clock on Friday? Like you have to just do it. And, you know, I get on stage a lot of the times and I'm not in a great mood necessarily. I don't feel like making jokes offhand, but it's my job. It's literally my job. Like there's people who are plumbers. They're like, I don't want to plumb today, (laughs) but you have to. Like you just go do it. Paula Poundstone talked about it in an interview because she gets like Paula Poundstone like pretty famously wears uh, 
I will lovingly say ridiculous outfits on stage. Yeah. Partly because she was like big in the 90s, but uh, like these giant, like bright suits and so like stuff you would not necessarily wear off stage. And she talked about it in an interview. She's like, it's like a uniform. Like if I put this on, I know, okay, like I am going to do comedy now because I have my big blue suit on or whatever. And in the in that interview, she talks about she she will get like a suit for a tour and like that will be her suit for that material. And she's like, it makes me comfortable. Like it's like I'm going to work when I put this thing on, like even if I'm in a bad mood, it, the process of getting ready and putting on this suit like tricks my brain into thinking like, all right, it's time for comedy, like whatever else is going on. Don't worry about it. Just go out and do the jokes that's i've i've never thought of it like that in general but then when because you said it's her it, i'm like thinking about her outfits i'm like yeah i don't think she could be you could be normal if you were wearing what she wore on stage anyway yeah that's part of it uh like i have a, a jacket that i usually wear on stage it's like i don't commit to a uniform uh as much as she does but it's like all right that's the it, it happened mostly because I it travels well without getting wrinkled. <laughs> like, I can throw it in a suitcase. And so I would just wear it a lot on stage, and I just got used to it. And then I heard that interview with her, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try it out. I'm going to, I'm gonna like, stick to wearing this jacket on stage, see how it goes. And it does. Like, there have been times where I, I will try to do – I'll go to, like, an open mic. I'm like, I'm not going to get dressed up to go to an open mic. I'm just going to wear what I'm wearing. And it is, like, a little harder to kind of get into the the groove of, like, really, like, all right, I'm doing my job. I'm doing comedy right now. It's just, I'm just a guy in a bar for some reason. What about and your, I, um, don't you have that, uh, like, waterproof shirt? <laughs> I do, yeah. Uh, oh, boy, I should remember the brand uh, so I can give them a plug. But <laughs> I was wondering if you collar. would, if I asked, I was yeah. wondering, is he going to even remember what I'm, well, you know, what I'm talking about? When's the last time you even yeah. wore it? Uh, this weekend. I, they, I have two of them. Uh, so there's this, there's this company and collar. They, uh, the shoot, the shirts are waterproof and they reached out, I think because before the pandemic, I did this joke where, uh, I say that my baby wrote a joke and the joke is she just lets water fall out of her mouth when she's drinking. <laughs> and I can't like, I can't do that on stage anymore in 2022. You can't just spit on your audience. Oh my God. I never thought of that. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I think they, re- I think they reached out cause of that joke. Uh, and I was like, yeah, you can send me a shirt. I'll make some videos. So they did, they sent me a shirt and I actually really liked it. So I ordered another one and that's the, one of those shirts and that jacket that I mentioned has been like my default going on stage outfit lately. I guess if like some company came up to you and were like, Hey, we got these jackets with these bright colors and crazy patterns. No. I mean, unless they're, like, throwing a lot of money my way. Uh, Even if the jackets were free? Yeah, I mean, I don't want a free, ugly jacket. (laughs) Like, I have... I'm good on on suit jackets. (laughs) Like, I'm not hurting for choice when I go to my closet. So if they're like, we'll give you a free suit jacket, but it's incredibly ugly. Like, no, I don't want that. If it was cool looking, I would definitely take it. Should look into some nerd jackets, see if any companies are out there that want a comedian helping them. I had when I was writing for Geekosystem when that was around, that was when like Oppa suits 
and those kinds of brands started where it was like you could get like Pac-Man pattern suits. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people with some of those. Yeah. I think it was Opposites was the one who reached out, but they, uh, they're like, hey, we, uh, we have these like nerd suits. Can we send you one? Uh, oh, no. It might have been, I think it was when I was at Laughing Squid because they had like a policy about not accepting things. So I had to turn it down, but I'm like, yeah, I would def- I would wear a Pac-Man suit for sure. I'll uh, after 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 this uh, talk, I should get your measurements. Maybe maybe I know where there is one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I I bought a uh, I, I bought an ugly Christmas jacket because I was doing like a lot of corporate holiday party shows, so I got it for that. And I think it was one of theirs. I was there. never one for the ugly. Sweaters. But I had to find like just a vaguely winter themed. <laughs> it couldn't be expl- It couldn't be expressly Christmas. I had to get like one with just cutouts of evergreens on it, because <laughs> a lot of companies have yeah. switched from doing Christmas parties to like holiday parties to be more inclusive and good on them. But uh, it limited my ugly jacket choice the problem was i bought it because i thought it would be stupid and ugly and like a fun thing to wear at a comedy show i look genuinely really good in it there's i put pictures up on instagram over the holidays because i was like i think i'm just gonna wear this around i look great it's like this soft red with the green trees it makes my eyes pop and it looks great i'm I'm gonna have to look it up it sounds (laughs) roughly familiar in my head and and i can't imagine it I know my nephew was threatening to get me, threatening because I never I was never into those ugly sweaters, but he was threatening to get me the uh, Halloween like horror versions of them. Yeah, there, there's quite the variety in ugly sweaters these days. I don't think I have any. I think I have one that has like a ugly sweater print on a T-shirt. Oh, OK. I think I have a I think I have a Star Wars one that somebody got me and then I bought a pizza one. Because pizza is the best food. Uh, I I just did another podcast with a friend of mine where we were discussing pizza and pizza toppings. And this past weekend, I just went to my friend's house with my nephews. And it turns out their daughter likes pizza without cheese. My nephew likes cheese uh, pizza without sauce. Maniacs. (laughs) And then I got the one nephew who eats it normally, and I tell him about that, and he just turns to both the other kids like, what is wrong with you two? Yeah. It's weird. It's I I've been doing a lot of pizza jokes on stage lately, and it really is just because I think about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> like I, my wife, I've known my wife since we were twelve years old. We've been together a very long time, but sometimes she will still be like, "Hey, what do you want to do for dinner? A pizza. I want to get pizza for dinner every night, all the time. Anytime you ask me what I want to eat, the answer is I would like some pizza, please." is my favorite food. I think about it constantly. So you've never answered her or yelled at her like, why are you asking me? No, I just tell, I'm like, I still want pizza. It's not changed in the 26 years that we've known each other. I still just want to get pizza. So I was going to switch in gears here. Being that, uh, switch it up, baby. <laughs> I mean, we, I was gonna say, now that we talked enough about you, no, we're gonna, I want to get to more stuff about you too, but, um, but I wanted to ask because being that it's a uh, horror paranormal stuff, what is your stance on horror? Do you like it? Do you watch it? Because I just recently was reading something about somebody and how they said they're not a big horror person themselves, 
they they're not into it. And then also, what is your stance on paranormal stuff? Uh, horror. I'm not actually a huge horror fan. I watched a lot of it when I was a kid. Um, and then in high school, I worked at a video store, and we we were allowed to rent. I think it was like five videos a week and i would frequently like we would just get five saturday morning and then go to my friend's house and watch them all and like a lot of those were horror i'm trying to think we watched a lot from like blue moon productions which was like doll man versus the demonic toys full moon uh and yes and uh i don't know why we got so focused on them specifically anything we could find by them we would watch and like generally just kind of laugh at and <laughs> part of it is because even from like a young age i knew how movies were made like i anytime there was like a behind the scenes special on tv which is now like dvd features but like when we were kids you know there would just be a special on discovery channel about movie special effects that i would anytime i could watch anything like that as a kid yeah i would watch that and then so then if I watch a horror movie, I'm like, yeah, I know Freddy Krueger's not real. Like, I'm not afraid of him. So I liked it when he got, like, when, like, Freddy in particular, like, he's supposed to be scary in the first one. And then by two or three, it's just kind of a parody of itself where he's, like, cracking more one-liners. The kills are a little more ridiculous mm-hmm. as opposed to the the first one. It is just like straight horror. And I think that happens with a lot of the franchises. Like eventually you got to send them into space. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> You can only kill so many people on earth. You got to, you got to figure out a way to get Jason on a spaceship. I don't think Freddy's been in space yet. They, they need to write that one. Well, you can get them there. You know, astronauts sleep too. So, uh, there's your end. But he goes after teenagers, so we need to come up with a teenage astronaut storyline. Ooh, we can reboot uh, Space Camp. Do you remember that <laughs> with movie? With Freddy Krueger? Where the yeah. kids at Space Camp get at, get launched into space for real? That, but also Freddy Krueger is there. Because one of them is a, one of the kids from Elm Street. Goes to Space Camp, brings Freddy, they go into space, and then there's also a robot. That helps fight Freddy. Because robots don't dream. Robots can take Freddy down. You left me speechless on that one. I don't know what you to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's, nobody ever thinks how we stop Freddy. Robots. Ro- mm. Or no, or they wouldn't be able to fight him because they don't dream. It's unclear. I don't know. But I watched a lot more horror when I was young. I think as I'm getting older, like now I have kids, so like I get genuinely more, uh, I get genuinely upset watching more things. Like the last Bond movie, there's a little girl in it, and I don't want to like spoil it, but like she's in danger for parts of the movie. And I'm like, if anything happens to that little girl, I'm walking out of this theater. Uh, <laughs> like, which I don't think before having kids, I would have really cared that much. Or like in uh, Avengers Endgame, Tony Stark's daughter looks a lot like my daughter. So I was like, well, I will burn this theater to the ground if anything happens to her. So then that I was way more emotionally invested in that movie because of that than I think I would have been beforehand. Uh, How old are the girls? Uh, My children are nine and three. Oh, okay. So she was when Endgame came out, they were like roughly the same age. Yeah. But paranormal stuff, I don't I don't believe in any of it. I don't think any of it's real. 
Uh, you sound almost apologetic for it. I'm doing a paranormal yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, because I have, like, I know, I know. Well, because I, I know a lot of people do, and I don't, I don't want to be like, hey, dummies, it doesn't exist. It's just like, I don't know. I've never seen anything that's convinced me that ghosts are real. And I feel like if, if ghosts were real, we would see a lot more of them all the time, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there have been so many people who have been alive and who aren't anymore that just I feel like there would be ghosts all over the place. We'd be tripping over them. Yeah, you would think there should be way more hauntings and ghost experiences going on if, if there's if they're real and there's that many people who have died especially and then there's the beliefs you know the parameters of what needs to happen for you to become a ghost like you have to have unresolved issues or unfinished business i'm like i'm pretty sure plenty of people died without having everything resolved yeah cryptids and stuff i'm more into because that it's just like oh yeah we just don't know what that animal is yet you know like except for bigfoot i don't believe in bigfoot <laughs> i was about to ask you about bigfoot well bigfoot the it's great because the origin of the Bigfoot myth is like literally a Scooby Doo episode. There was I forget the town in Washington. This is like a mining town or like they were doing construction in the woods and like all these kids were coming and messing with the construction equipment. So a guy made big feet and like stomped around and then went to the local bars and was telling everybody that he saw a monster so that people would leave his construction equipment alone. And like that's a hundred percent the plot of a scooby-doo episode they're like oh you darn kids are messing around i'm gonna scare you away by pretending to be a monster what you described is almost the same thing the storyline behind the um oh my god the crop circles yeah that's another one we're like yeah no the guys who started crop circles admitted it and said how they did it and like that's i don't know why we're still considering that a real thing that's happening because of aliens. It's- I've heard they have crop circle parties at these days. Like people just meet up in the middle of the night and just pick a random field and go make crop circles and then wait to see if the news picks up on it the next day. But they don't hide the fact that they're making them anymore. Yeah. It seems like it would be fun. Like to go out with your friends in the middle of the night and, and squish some corn. Yeah. That sounds great. Let's go do it after this. I'm just I'm just more concerned is how do they get these intricate patterns when they're out there doing it in the night and quite honestly probably half drunk when they're doing them. That's why I think is that's <laughs> well because the thing is like if you take them in aggregate it's this big elaborate pattern but also like if you just scribble on a piece of paper for a little while it'll look like this big elaborate thing that you've created and it is just like you just did it as you went along. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> So if I, I'm going to throw some cryptids at you. So you said Bigfoot. No. What, what yeah, about no Bigfoot. Chupacabra. Prob- probably. I feel like that one is, uh, what's the one where it was like a dog that washed up on a beach, but because it didn't have hair and it had been sick. Everyone's like, it's a monster. It's just a dog. Uh, Chupacabra is probably that. But if it's like a type of dog we didn't know that loves to suck on goats, Sure. Like, I I don't see why that wouldn't exist. I don't know There's why probably... that sounded dirty to me. Suck on goats. When you say it like that, it I mean, sounds that's what it is. sexual. It's a horny little dog that likes to suck on goats. <laughs> um, but Which is funny because the original description of Chupacabra is always um, some kind of lizard creature. Some In some pictures, they draw him as like a little oh, is it? two foot, three foot lizard looking man with red eyes and scales. I always picture like a mangy dog, but I also don't think about it a lot. 
Um, what about very close to the Bigfoot, the Yeti? Uh, that one I'm more inclined to believe than Bigfoot because uh, the area that it's in is way less populated and harder to get to. So, like, there's a lot of Bigfoot reports in Pennsylvania. I live near there. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's people all over most of Pennsylvania. So it wouldn't we we would have found him if he's in there so i don't know but i'm not hiking around the himalayas every day yeah there's apparently a lot of uh, bigfoot sightings in michigan because i was just there over the weekend oh yeah that's right uh, a lot of uh, there was a lot of like bigfoot signage in the town i was in so I, i guess it's i assumed it wasn't just a coincidence and that everyone just loves bigfoot up there but who knows? <laughs> what, well, also very similar to Bigfoot, if you head south more, you get the um, skunk ape. Yeah, I mean, there's like the local Bigfoot version a lot of places. Uh, skunk ape, because that's like when you get into the Florida Everglades or whatever. Like, again, that's like rough terrain that's not as densely populated. So something could hide out in there a little bit easier, I think, than the woods, you know? Like. <laughs> Uh, what about the Mothman? Uh, I the Mothman is the probably the most fun because people for some That's reason fun. in the past like two or three years have really latched on to like Mothman fan art, but they make them like adorable. So <laughs> I'm pro Mothman. The movie confused me because when I saw it, I didn't know that it was a thing that people thought was real. So I didn't I didn't know like the the history of the Mothman when I saw that uh Richard Gere movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I don't know what this is. This the story didn't make a lot of sense. It seems weird that he showed up one time to be like hey that bridge is going to fall down and then nobody ever saw him again. Like that's the origin story seems like there's stuff missing, you know? Which is funny because uh, before the bridge falls down, there's no real mention of them. After the bridge falls, suddenly there's like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. There were other disasters where I think people saw him too, but it all comes to light after that initial uh, bridge falling. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of paranormal stuff happens. I think it is people trying to connect dots because that's what human brains like to do. Like we like to see a pattern. We like to believe things happen for a reason. Uh, so if just a bridge falls down, then, you know, that's unsettling because, you know, we don't want to think that just bridges can fall down for no reason. We want there to be a giant Mothman involved to make us feel better about the random nature of the universe. I mean, I've seen pictures where they, um, they're trying to connect them to, uh, the 9-11 towers falling. Oof. Hard pass. No, thank you, Mothman conspiracy theorists. (laughs) I'm sure whatever they took a picture of is probably just a pigeon just darting the hell out of there. Like, no, I'm at, I'm no, I'm not staying. I'm out. Yeah. What horror movies have you seen that you know present or in the past that resonated with you either on a comedic or uh, scary or traumatizing level? Um, I think I mentioned it already on the call. Dollman versus the Demonic Toys. Uh, it is such a weird premise for a movie because it combines these two already pretty wild premises for a movie. So Dollman, he's like a tiny, he's a tiny man with guns, 
and he's like mad that he's so little. And then demonic toys is exactly what the title implies. <laughs> toys possessed by demons. And then they run across each other. And it is, I just remember, like we watched that movie a lot in high school <laughs> as just an example of, man, this is so hilarious because it takes itself pretty seriously, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, because no, it wasn't it does, like yeah. there's a lot of horror that is like, isn't it silly that we're doing this? But this, if I remember correctly, is played pretty straight. They're like, aren't these toys terrifying? No, not really. Uh, they are just weird little puppets. Because that was, I think, it's the same people behind Puppet Master, if I remember correctly. Yeah, actually, I was about to say, I think at one point they started overlapping them. I think they did Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. I don't know if they ever did a three-way with them. I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't. if I remember correctly, Dollman comes out on top and not a lot of the Demonic Toys survive. Um, but again, it's been a while since I've seen it. But we would watch, because I, I went to school in uh, for college for film, which I was always really interested in. So like in high school, we would watch all these movies and I would do it thinking like, all right, I'm going to learn from from my video store job. I'm going to rent all the movies I can watch and like learn how to make movies from them. And the horror ones in particular were very educational because you can produce horror is frequently like a low budget endeavor. Like people are making the most of what they can with not a lot of money. So when I say like we watched it and we're laughing at it, like I do have a lot of respect for horror filmmakers as a genre because of like what they can achieve with limited resources. So it's not necessarily a genre I enjoy watching, but it's like, yeah, like it's, it's clear that people really care about it. Uh, I think, I think more horror movies than other genres, for example, are like really done with this love for the craft that I don't think a lot of other movies get because it's people who want to make a movie because they love movies. And I think a lot of those people go into horror because uh, it's, you can produce it fairly cheaply. There's a huge market for it. Uh, like if you want to make a movie without a lot of money, if you make a horror movie, you can probably sell that horror movie to somebody like not for a ton of money, but you know, somebody will want to watch your horror movie. If you want to do like an independent low budget, you know, indie drama, that's much harder to get eyes on. But if you're like, hey, we got there's murders in a cornfield, people are probably on board. Yeah. Um, there's another podcast I listened to and they were actually just discussing that how, a lot of people sometimes go into horror and and they say, you know, for the love of movie making and even just for the love of horror, but they're like but they're like, Oh, bless their hearts, they're trying so hard, but they don't always understand what it takes to actually make it horror. Like you said, me making a drama for some people even just a hard part of making a drama is the fact that can we get good enough actors to act this out? But as far as horror yeah. <clears throat> just screen look at the camera and screen. Right. Like it's it's a li I I mean I'm not that good of an actor to really say what type of acting is easier than the other but I feel like it is easier to pretend that you're getting stabbed to death than pretend that you're emotional about some minor plot point in a drama movie you know like <laughs> you can writhe around and scream pretty easily um, there is a, a bit of news. I want to, I want to get your take on it. I mentioned in a, in a two, pa two podcasts ago, and then I mentioned the last one, there's a new Dracula movie coming out 
it's actually, I think they officially just started um, filming from, uh, it's an, uh, it's part of the official Universal Monsters, um, I want to say multiverse, but universe. They're still, they're still trying to, still trying to make that happen. They're making it happen, but I think it looks like they're going off and not particularly following the main characters. Basically they're making, you know who Renfield is? Mm-hmm. They're making a Renfield movie starring Nicolas Cage. Um, okay i have not heard this news uh i do i really like dracula the book and like the old horror like the universal monster movies i watched a ton those i loved like as a kid uh but again like it wasn't like oh this is so scary it's like this is I, re- I don't know why I got so drawn to that stuff. Like Frankenstein, the book, I don't think I read until college, but I had seen all the Frankenstein movies as a, as a child. And I'm like, yeah, Frankenstein rules this guy. And like monster squad, he's like the fun, lovable monster. <laughs> I'm, I've been pro Frankenstein my whole life, I think. And then I read the book in college. I was like, Oh, this is actually like great. There's a Hallmark channel version of Frankenstein that is, I would say, very true to the book. And when you watch it, you realize why the other movies aren't that true to the book. Because it makes for a great book. But on screen, here, like watching the monster talk for 20 minutes at a time gets a little tiring. <laughs> but I, I, I have a big, big place in my heart for Frankenstein. And I am, I, if you're going to get comments, like, it's Frankenstein's monster. Look, it's in the book. Right, he adri- he considers himself Frankenstein's son, so yes, he it's, would it's a surname. consider himself a Frankenstein. Like he calls Doctor Frank or Victor. Not he's not a doctor in the book. He's just like a med student, but he calls Victor his father. So he, in his own mind, is Frankenstein. Yeah, like if you were to make a monster, I'd refer to it as the Tickle Monster. Yeah, exactly. Right, like all <laughs> all my little monsters that I'm gonna create would consider themselves my children, including my two actual children. <laughs> I did a, I wrote a thing for Gigo System years ago about why it's okay to call Frankenstein Frankenstein, and it got probably top 10 most hate comments on anything I'd ever written uh, of people telling me that I'm wrong and that I'm an idiot for not understanding Frankenstein. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I understand it better than you, which is why I'm writing this to make the point like i brought receipts like i quoted the book i'm like this is why it's he i think i gave him the first name adam in that article if i remember correctly because he compares himself to adam from the bible so he doesn't expressly give himself a first name but it's either adam or uh there's another book that he talks about like really relating to the main character oh the sorrows of young verta so but like adam's an easier name (laughs) so i went with that well, it's funny. Um, I know the the book itself, the original book, has another name because I was just watching a um, the modern Prometheus. Yeah, because I was going to say I was actually watching a recent version. I think it's called Victor Frankenstein, starring James McAvoy uh, and yeah, Harry that's Potter. the McAvoy and Harry Potter one. Yeah, <laughs> and they refer and they refer to the creature as uh, Prometheus a couple of times. Yeah, well, they shouldn't because <laughs> Victor would be Prometheus. In, yeah, because he's the he's the one that that's doing it, and then the other, the monster is just a a victim like in all this. Technically, the fire in the Prometheus story, Prometheus, the monster's not Prometheus. 
But I, th- I, th- I saw that one too, and I don't remember yeah. very much about it. I just watched it like a week ago. I'm trying to remember more. There was a certain word that they said when they describe um, when they first make the uh, the monkey like Frankenstein creature thing, homunculus. Yeah. I think is what they called it. See, that was always my. I brought it up when I read the book in college. It was for uh, an English novel class, and I made the point. I was like, "Why did he start with a seven foot monster? Like, if you're trying to." reanimate life go small first like do a proof of concept before you start sewing body parts together you know like start with a cat or something more manageable (laughs) well my thing is also he's doing um these are all corpse body body parts and it's this isn't exactly a time when we had you know when there was freezers to keep things in so my thought is always like all right so you reanimated but didn't it stink before you brought it back okay i know it's alive now but wasn't this flesh dead? Like, you know, not too long ago. Is there a smell that? Well, that's why it? they needed. So that was uh, around when the book was written was like, uh, it coincided with like sort of the birth of modern medicine mm-hmm. where med schools needed bodies to dissect, to un- better understand the human body, but people didn't want that to happen. So getting them was like, there's a real dodgy bit of business like there were people just straight up stealing corpses and delivering them to medical schools and the schools were like no questions asked here's some money friend and so this uh, like grave robbing became like a pretty profitable business for a while it was kind of a fact of life at the time where people like oh yeah sometimes people dig up corpses and do weird medical experiments on them so when when the book was written it was Around the time, I forget the doctor who did it, but the French scientist who was like running current through dead frog legs and stuff to make them twitch. That was going on and people were stealing bodies to bring to medical schools. So a lot of just like what was happening in the world directly uh, fed into what became Frankenstein. I'm remembering, I think there's a movie that it's star, it might, I think it is Simon Pegg. That stars about mm-hmm. him as the guys that are uh, yes. grave robbing, but I'm not remembering if I'm thinking the right name. Burke and Hare, or or those the uh, highwaymen. Something man. like that. Uh, no, the highwayman one is uh, Plunkett and McLean. Okay, so then it is Burke and Hare, I think. Yeah, I think Burke. Yeah, I think it's Burke and Hare, which is uh, I believe based on true events. Yeah. Yeah, like probably exaggerated for the movie, but oh, yeah, they were real people. Um, yeah, Burke and Hare, I think I've only seen once. Punk and McLean, I've seen a bunch of times, but that's not horror. It's it's just a movie that I really like. Somewhere in my head, they both get mixed up. Yeah, I could see. I mean, yeah, I guess they're similar, like time period. They're both period pieces. I don't know if they're the same period because it's been a while since I've seen either of them. Two men together. Now when I'm describing it, it sounds like something it's else. Just, it's a period piece about yes. two men together. Two dudes in time. Doing, almost sounds like I'm describing stuff. a porno. Is that a thing? <laughs> period piece porno. I, I, I have to look that up now. Not that I need to like see it. it. I'm just curious. You know, out of curiosity. You have to assume it's out there. Uh, I, if not, maybe we can corner the market. <laughs> <laughs> not that we have to be in it. I don't think that... Yeah, you and me. We're going to star in it. No, no, please no. All right, fine, but you have to wear one of those nerd suits. <laughs> you got to wear yeah, your nerd yeah. suit and your uh, yeah. waterproof shirt. Awesome. Yeah, that's going to come in handy just from like a practical standpoint. You're going to want, you're not going to want anything sticking to the shirt. You want, Ideally, 
you want it to slide right off. It'll be it'll be a period piece porno where no clothes get taken off. <laughs> Just two fully dressed men in love. <laughs> And that's it. Well, it's a period piece. So back then, even just holding hands was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you and me in very fancy suits holding hands in a parlor. And then uh, and then the the dirtiest part is when I when you look in my eyes and, and go look down and you show me a little ankle. <laughs> and, uh, and then I go, put that away. How scandalous it is. <laughs> I do a very scandalous ankle. It's like, you have no stalking. What is wrong with you? I'm not currently. I've got very short socks on at the moment. So are you cold? I, I know you have your um, what is it? Your shed out back where you do all this. I'm like, there's heating yeah, in there. Right? Yeah. You're not out there like you're like anchor. I do. I have a little heater. It is a little. It's kind of chilly in here at the moment. The heater flips the breaker sometimes, so I turn it off. And like it's noisy, so I turn it off when I'm doing calls. But I was running it before the show to keep my little ankies nice and warm. I should have put longer socks on before I came out here, but I didn't plan ahead. Are you at least wearing pants? Yes. Yeah. No, it's just very short ankle socks. That's the only thing I've got on. I don't know why for some reason, for some reason we said ankle socks. I'm, I was just imagining you in like shorts. No, just the socks. I'm just sitting here nude in a booth in my shed with little socks on my toes. It's, it's a good thing this is an audio chat and not video. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've, did you see, um, what is it? Get out. Yes. That I really liked. You see, it's interesting. And it's, see, this is another reason I, wa I wanted to bring you on. Cause Jordan Peele known his whole career mo mostly for comedy and does this. Do you think, what do you think yeah. about the correlation between comedy and horror and the connection with it? I know it's like a, such a, <laughs> a thought provoking question. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think there's a connection there. Cause like a lot of horror movies do have like a comic relief element at some point. Um, like I remember when Scream came out, that was pretty big in high school. We would watch that a lot. And again, like there's genuinely funny moments in Scream, but it's not a comedy by any means. It's just a pretty good horror movie with some jokes in it sometimes. Uh, and I think it's because... If you're doing horror, you either have to, like, fully commit to that this is scary. Like, you got to do something, like, hereditary where, like, this is a scary movie meant to scare you and you leave scared and you go home and you're scared. Uh, and then if you want to do more of, like, a holistic, <laughs> like, experience, you're like, all right, there's scary parts in this, but we also will, like, give you a break every once in a while because this guy's kind of wacky. So when he shows up, you get to have a fun laugh for a little bit, but then someone gets stabbed. <laughs> uh, and I think kind of moving from one to another can make the extremes a little more extreme. Like to go from a very funny moment into a very scary moment could be like a tough thing to pull off. But I think if you do it well it's going to make that scary moment scarier or to have something funny happen when there's some in like the middle of something terrifying can make the joke land a little harder because it's unexpected. It's true of like really tender moments in comedies because you're not necessarily expecting them. So then when they show up, you're like, Oh, like it's nice. Cause it's not just one note of like how everything that happens in this is ridiculous. And you're supposed to laugh at it like some of this, you know, will make you feel feelings. 
what you said makes me think of two uh, separate things. You ever see um, Night of the Living Dead, the remake from 1990? No. I saw... I've seen the original. Uh, so you know how... Um, they're at the beginning, they're at the cemetery, and he's like, oh, look, they're coming to get you, Barbara. He goes, look, there's one of them now, and it turns out being the actual zombie. Yeah. In the remake, you see him, you see them, and he goes, look, there's one of them now. He's coming for you, and then she's walking up to the guy, and then the guy does grab the girl, and she screams, but then it's he's not a zombie. He's like an old man like um, who works in the cemetery, and he just like, he's going like, I'm sorry. So, and I just recently saw that with my nephew, and he's laughing like, oh, ha, ha, that's not the zombie. And then right before the guy could say anything else, an actual zombie busts out of nowhere and just grabs the grabs the girl and knocks her to the floor. It's funny how you said that because it makes me think how I show that to my nephew, and, you know, he's he literally was in the middle laughing. Oh, look, the old man, and boom, the zombie comes out. He literally screamed and almost jumped out of his seat. <laughs> Yeah, because I think if you're doing something like a remake, like everyone, that's a pretty big moment in the original. So when you're going to remake, you do kind of have to think, you know, are we going to do the uh, Gus Van Sant shot for shot remake of Psycho uh, and, you know, not change anything for some reason? Or are you going to try to subvert the expectations of people who are watching this because, you know, they're going to be familiar with the source material they're going to remember that moment. So you can either give them exactly what they expect, which could be kind of boring, or, you know, you make, a, you mine that opportunity by having, you change it a little bit. Everybody expects it to be a zombie and then it's an old guy, but then you give them the zombie right after. Like, I think <laughs> I, I said, I'm not, I haven't seen the remake, so I don't know if it is good, but like, that seems like a good use of a remake, you know? It was, it was, I liked it. It was good. If they did a nice update, especially on the uh, Barbara character, because in the original, she's ah, the whole movie. And then the remake, yeah. they, they modernize her, where at some point in the movie, she stops being this female that can't do anything and actually starts fighting for herself. And That's then, good. Give her some agency. And then the other thing you mentioned, you know, the whole, um, Switching back and forth, like with comedy, you said in drama. I think it makes both of those emotions play out better than they might otherwise. Mm -hmm. I like things that kind of combine those elements. Like I like comedies that have more dramatic moments. I, I, you know, I mean, comedy is the best thing out there. So any any other genre is improved, in my opinion, by having some comedy in there. Um but it can be overdone, I think. If it is, if it's supposed to be horror, but it is too silly, like that, then I don't, I don't dig it. But you know, you have some, uh, you have some comedic relief every once in a while. In and like I watched the the Macbeth, uh, the Denzel Washington one that was, just came out, and Stephen Root plays the porter in it, and he's so genuinely good in that role that like this is the hardest I think I've laughed at a Shakespeare thing in probably my entire life because Shakespeare's not that funny but <laughs> you know we all we all learn about it because you know great work or whatever but there's jokes in Shakespeare things but it, we're so far detached from like that use of language and a lot of the stuff that the plays are about don't 
super resonate anymore. Mm-hmm. But to just have a drunk guy answering the door in the middle of the night and he's like a little annoyed that he has to do it, but he's drunk, so he's still having a nice time. Like, yeah, that's great. And it's I, I believe that is the first documented knock knock joke uh, <laughs> is is the Porter scene in in Macbeth. I haven't seen it. Maybe just for that one scene, I'll take it uh, I'll I'll go and uh I'll watch He's it. He's really good in it. Uh The Witches, those scenes are really good since this is a horror podcast. People might be <laughs> down for that. Um it's not terribly scary, but they got the the actor playing the witches. I believe it's one person. Sometimes it's just them and then it'll be like They'll be standing over a lake, and you'll see in the reflection, it's all three of them. Oh. But I think it's the same actor. And I, I believe she's like a contortionist because she's doing like weird body poses and stuff while doing these monologues. And it is, again, like you're, we're, we're all kind of used to the standard, you know, you think of the witch scene in Macbeth, and you know, it's all the three witches standing around a cauldron stirring it. We all kind of get what that is so this was like again like a nice kind of new take on it the rest of it like all the actual (laughs) Macbeth stuff I thought was kind of boring uh but (laughs) it had really nice moments in it like I liked the witches scenes the porter scene was really funny uh overall like it was a lot I had a much easier time understanding the story of Macbeth watching it watching this version than any other version that I think I've seen. Because a lot of the times you're like, you're kind of trying to translate your own language when you're watching Shakespeare. You're like, I know what these words mean individually, but like how they're being (laughs) put together, I don't understand anymore. So you're trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, But this was, I think, so well acted that it, it was much more interesting than some other Shakespeare stuff that I've seen. And I say this, like I genuinely enjoy Shakespeare and I watch a lot of it. See what you say reminds me of, um, you know, the comedian Aerie Spears. Yeah. The joke he does about how he says he loves watching, uh, <laughs> old gladiator movies, especially with the British accents and how he's, mm-hmm. he says, I'll say, you know, let him know that Xerxes is a kind of benevolent King. And then he's in the audience just thinking who got diabetes? What? <laughs> yeah, you're right. The wording sometimes, it, like I remember watching. I don't remember if it was Hamlet or Macbeth. Uh, I think it was the one with David Tennant. Um, and I'm watching something, and then at one point I realized yeah, he did Hamlet. And I'm and and at one point he says something, and in my head it slowly translates. Like maybe five minutes later, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was like a yo mama insult joke. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of like jokes in Shakespeare stuff that just don't play anymore because like audiences don't understand them. Uh, I was in uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream in high school. My freshman year, I was uh, Aegeus, like the dad in it. And I was the youngest looking high school freshman you could possibly. Like I didn't hit a growth spurt till like junior year. So they're like, here, small baby, you play an old man. Uh, And I'm like, I, this seems like not a good idea. But a lot, I didn't know a lot of what a GS says is supposed to be funny. And I'm like, no one told me. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just memorizing things and then yelling at them because you told me I'm supposed to be mad. Uh, I mean, I was 14. So, I'm, you know, <laughs> my acting skills weren't necessarily up to snuff. But 
now I'm like, oh, like some of this, it couldn't be jokes. Uh, Cause he is just this fuming mad guy. Like it's, I think I might be misremembering this cause I've not read or seen the play in a lot in a while, but I think he is the comic relief. Like there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in that, but I think it's supposed to be funny how mad this dad is. Like he's so upset cause his daughter doesn't want to marry the right guy. And it's like, calm down, calm down, buddy. <laughs> it's, you need to relax. And he's all worked up. I don't mind standing in front of people. And I know I can write jokes because all like the shorts and stuff I did in college were comedies. So I'm like, I'll just go do that. And then I'll get hired to write something. And then I liked doing that way more. I was like, I can just, this is so much easier. If you make a movie, you know, you write a script. It can be literal years before you find out if an audience likes it. Yeah. It's a long time. Like, I did a show called Improvised Stand-Up last night where, it I mean, title explains it, right? Like, you get a prompt, and then you just work off the prompt. So that's great because I'm literally thinking of things in the moment and saying them and finding out if people think they're funny immediately. Like, I also have ADD. Like, I love that I don't have to plan ahead that much, you know? It's funny you said that. I remember actually discussing with a friend of mine where we were like, well, what if... Uh, you know, having said how you know comedy is something everyone does, but stand-up comedy is different. We had discussed doing like improv comedy. Mm-hmm. The and then we were discussing about well, what if we do it kind of like a horror version of it? Like people come and you're you we're telling them, oh, we're going to improvise a st- um, what's going to be said and everything, but we're giving them a rough like let's say you get a, a group of people. Mm-hmm. You put them on set and you basically tell them, here, you are in the world of Night of the Living Dead, but now go improvise and be funny about it. Yeah. Uh, friends of mine were doing a like a, a Lovecraft-themed improv act for a while uh, where they come out like in robes chanting and then – because like, typically improvisers ask the audience for a suggestion. Mm-hmm. So they would ask an audience for something that they were afraid of and they would – kind of improvise comedy horror scenes about whatever the thing is that the person is afraid of. I, I can't remember the name of the act, but it was Lovecraft-inspired horror comedy improv. Lovecraft is very specific, though, too. <laughs> yeah. The Great Old Ones, I think, is what they were called. But it's funny because that that within itself is already a set of rules in a universe that's got a, its own very specific kind of set of rules, and then... That's extremely interesting. Where where did this take place? Mostly in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. But I think they went and did a couple improv festivals with with that act. Oh God, I'm trying to remember. It was my my improvised Wikipedia co-host John Lunger, and either my friend Justin Passano or my friend Evan Williamson. I don't remember which one. Somebody I know. <laughs> well, because the thing is, like with improvisers, they are frequently pairing up in different groups all the time and coming up with different names. Like every six months, my improviser friends like change what their team name is and who's on it. I can't keep it straight. Is it something you'd ever do? Uh, I don't like doing improv. Uh, I have a lot of improviser friends that they keep trying to get me to do it. The closest thing, like my podcast uh, is Improvised Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. I think when we start, when we had the idea... Because my friend John, who I co-host it with, is an improviser, and he's very good at it, and we were trying to think of something that we could do together. 
but he knows that I didn't like doing improv. So we came up with this idea and we thought like, oh, it'll be fun because we'll just make up a bunch of dumb facts. But then he started keeping score of like, so the idea is we have listeners send in suggestions and then we look at them when we start the recording and then we rewrite the Wikipedia page for that suggestion without doing any research. Because we thought like, oh, like we can just make up dumb facts. It doesn't matter. But then he started keeping score. He's like, oh, like we'll see if we be if we did a better version of what than Wikipedia did, then we get a point. And I'm weirdly competitive about stuff. So I'm like, well, if you're keeping score, I want to win. Like, I don't want to just make up facts. I want to get the right answer. Because a couple of them were things that I, like, happened to know a lot about. Like, one of the first suggestions we got was skyscrapers. And I'm like, yeah, I know a fair amount about the history of skyscrapers. I think we can legitimately win this one. I was, like, really trying to spout off facts. It's become, like, a running joke now that I I can't just let it go and just, like... John will frequently try to, like, do a joke or something fun. I'm like, no, we need to be serious. We need to remember, what year was the Eiffel Tower constructed? This matters. And he's like, I don't know, the year 10. Who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. But I will get, like, very competitive about any dumb thing, really. What's what's the score currently? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the problem was he kept the score on a post-it on his monitor in his office because that's where we recorded, and then the pandemic hit, and then he couldn't get into his office for two years. Oh, geez. so oh he's like, God. I don't, I don't remember what the score is, and like we at the end of each episode, we decide if we won or lost. Or if it's a tie. Have you done something like nuclear something or cold fu- uh, fusion? Uh, did we do cold fusion? We've gotten some that are pretty wild. I think we got uh, we got the Large Hadron Collider uh, okay. oh. one time. And I'm like, yeah, I've worked as a science writer. Like, I know, I know about the LHC, baby. And uh, I don't remember if we... Because part of the problem is like... Some Wikipedia pages are things that we know a lot about, but they're so fleshed out. I think the first episode we did was on cardinals. And, like, we got some basic facts about cardinals in there, but bird people really filled out the cardinal Wikipedia page. Like, there's no amount of information we could provide in a half-hour podcast that was going to rival that. But then other times, there's, like, nothing on the Wikipedia page. So we win just because we said more than two things, you know? Uh <laughs> It's wild. But yeah, because we get it's suggestions from the audience. So sometimes it is something that we know a little bit about. Other times it's like something we've heard of but don't really know. Uh, a few times it's been like one time we had uh, a listener suggested Ibogaine. Um, and we're like, we've never heard that word before. We have no Neither have I. Idea. I ask you, what the hell we have is no it? idea what that is. Yeah, it's a fun show to do. We've done a couple live ones. Uh, which is, I think, closer to traditional improv. When we do them live, I do give up completely on the idea that we're going to win because when there's an audience there, like I, my stand-up instincts kick in. I'm like, oh, I need to say something funny to get these people to laugh. When we're doing... When we're doing the podcast and it's just me and John, it's like, no, I need to, I need to prove to the internet that I'm a smart boy who knows things. Uh, I need to do a good job. But when there's an audience there, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'll just say whatever dumb thing will make these people laugh. But sometimes the comedy is I'm getting very upset because I don't know 
what year the Eiffel Tower was built or whatever. You actually, it's funny. You brought up the Hydron Collider. Yeah. How much of it do you know? Because there is an actual like odd kind of, I guess, paranormal-ish story connected to it. And then the, I know there's a couple of theories connected to it. Um, I mean, I don't know any paranormal stuff. I know uh, it's been a while, but like when I was working as a science writer, there was like a pretty steady flow of CERN news coming in. But it's been a while, and my brain's bad, so I don't I don't remember a lot of the details. Yeah, I know like the basics. Because I know there's the uh, I mean there's the um, the multiverse I'll run you theory, some basic particle physics. Do you know that one? The you multiverse um, a conspiracy. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> there's a conspiracy theory with it that they believe that when it was turned, that it opened us up to the multiverse and that's why so many things they, people believe have been going downhill ever since uh they started the machine up are you asking me if i believe that no no just have you heard it i mean you can or tell me I if you believe it. It. i'm just saying have you ever have you heard i that? don't believe it i don't i i remember people being very concerned because one of the things that happens sometimes when you smash particles together at incredibly high speeds is they make little black holes mm -hmm. but like the mass is so small that they dissipate instantly. But everybody was like concerned that they're like, they're going to turn the LHC on and then it's going to cause a black hole and it's going to swallow the whole earth. And we're like, well, it's not gonna. But I mean, people, when they were doing nuclear testing and stuff, they were concerned. They're like, if you detonate a nuclear bomb in the atmosphere, it's going to light all the oxygen on fire and then we're all going to die. And we're like, it won't do that. Um, but you know, sure, I guess you could be concerned or, it, you know, if you do it in the ocean, it's going to cause a chain reaction and vaporize all the water and then we're all going to die. I'm like, there's a lot of reasons why like <laughs> nuclear explosions can kill you, but neither of those are them. So don't worry about it. But I remember, I remember hearing people concerned about the black hole thing. I was doing science writing at the time. So like the comment section would frequently people would like share their fears of the of the LHC <laughs> in our comment section and we would have to be like no you don't have to worry it's not going to cause a black hole that would devour the earth and like well, how do you know well because math is the answer like the particles that they're firing at each other are so small like a black hole will go away if you fill it it's just so dense that you're not gonna but if you make a teeny tiny one out of one proton that you smash throw some skills in proton. it and you're good yeah like it's not there's not enough energy or mass there to keep it going you know the uh the mandela effect yeah is that so people think that lhc caused the mandela effect and not look i get it i also don't want to admit that i'm wrong ever but it is such <laughs> so a you're like wild, so maybe it is such a wild claim to me for people to like get a fact wrong, like the Berenstain Bears, and be like, well, obviously I can't be wrong. So what happened was a rift in the universe happened and we all got transported because God forbid, I don't know how to spell a book from my childhood. You know, like it's a, it's so wild to me. Like just what you said though, that, that's actually what it is. Yeah. The belief is that they turned <laughs> the machine know. on it's and our universe and the closest universe smashed together and it's such our universes were so similar that it's only the tiniest little things that are slightly different and that's where the mandela effect comes in i think i get turned off on specifically the mandela effect because like even in 
fiction. I don't love multiverse stuff. Like, I saw Into the Spider-Verse. It's fine. But I know, like... Or no, Into the, uh, Into the Spider-Verse was incredible. Uh, the No Way Home. That one was fine. People are losing their minds over it. I don't love that now every Marvel movie is a multiverse thing. Because it doesn't, like... They're like, oh, we're going to go to Earth 2. And it's so very similar... Except Superman's got a blue suit instead of a red one. I'm like, yeah, but it would be so much different for most of the universes. We did an episode of Improvised Wikipedia about zombies. Oh, um, where I'm have to look for it. <laughs> it was a good one because we knew. I don't remember if we won or tied, but like we did a pretty good job. Like we knew a lot about the history. Uh, but no, John also admitted, he's like, yeah, I don't like zombie stuff. I'm trying to think. Like, I watched the original Night of the Living Dead in college, like, in a class. And then we talked about, like, some of the influences and stuff. Um, if I can tie something together to something else that I'm familiar with, I get more interested in it. So Night of the Living Dead, I'm not a big zombie fan. But then you talk about some of the influences in how the movie was made and you're like, Oh, like that's, that part is interesting to me. Like, I don't love the zombie stuff, but then you like find out that the arms breaking through the barn door and like grabbing people was inspired by like Cocteau's, uh, uh, beauty and the beast. You're like, Oh yeah. Like, sure. That's a neat fact to learn. Like that makes this more interesting. The black and white one. Yeah. So the candlesticks were arms like reach through the wall. Um, it's a, it's a, a really weird movie. Uh, I think it's on HBO max. It's a great movie. Like it's, it's, I guess sort of horror. Cause he's, you know, all made up. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, I've seen some of it. It's, it's a bit creepy. Yeah, it is. Like it's, it's parts of it are unsettling. Like parts of it are like genuinely very beautifully done. And, uh, it was, it's a great movie to like learn about the making of because it was, it was like post-war, so there's like limited film stock. Everybody is just like emotionally exhausted <laughs> because of the war. And he's like, "No, we're gonna do a fairy tale movie." And everyone's like, "I don't know if we really, if that's what we're doing anymore." And it was kind of like how after 9/11, everyone's like, "Well, comedy's done forever." Yeah. Uh, and we're like, "Well, I don't think that's true." But like late night shows were off for a couple of weeks. Um, I think Letterman was the first one back when SNL came back, they had Giuliani come on, uh, to do like an intro and then Lauren Michaels comes out and he asks if it's okay to be funny again. And then Giuliani's comment was like, well, why start now? Uh, and then Giuliani went on to be a <laughs> shitty maniac for the rest of his life. Uh, but pretty funny moment from 20 years ago. You ever see... Return of the Living Dead. Which one is that? I've seen, I think, most of them. This, that's the one with the punk kids. That's the punk kids and uh, music. It's because the whole uh, thing with that is it's not part of the Night of the Living Dead universe. It's like oh, an yes, offshoot. Yes. Okay, I know. I've I've not seen it, but I know what one you're talking about. Uh, I saw a, a trailer for it uh, when I went to see Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, at a what the what the theater where they filmed the blob in Pennsylvania, 
Um, I can't think of the name of it, but that's, it's not that far away from me. And they do, uh, like classic film screenings sometimes. And they, they did Buck Rubanzai last year. So I went and Return of the Living Dead was like the next week. So they were, they showed the trailer and they were talking about it a little bit before Buckaroo came on. I do, I recommend the movie because <clears throat> for one, it's a different take on zombie than most other movies. Um, there is a slight connection to Night of the Living Dead, which they explained in the movie. Um, yeah, the guy who I actually remember wrote them talking it, about that. Yeah, the guy who actually wrote it is the guy that wrote Night of the Living Dead with Romero. So he kind of mm-hmm. wrote, uh, when he wrote it, he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to do this other storyline movie that kind of ties into this, if that's okay. Supposedly, they it, it caused a falling out between the two of them for years. But um, also, just the music, the style, it, it really encaps- encapsulates like the 80s and punk and young kids in it. But it's mm-hmm. got a fair decent amount of comedy, I felt, I felt in it, too, because it does get um, put into horror comedy. But the horror aspect of it, I, I always found, is very good on the scary. And then the funny parts I found were actually genuinely funny because when they made part two, they, they went too far into the wacky, funny side of it and became more yeah, kids movie. There was, uh, I remember in the trailer, like I kind of got that vibe that it leaned a little more into comedy than the original. And then also that's where the whole zombie saying brains comes from in general. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny because that when it comes to uh, Return of the Living Dead, I mentioned to people, so many people tell me they've never heard of it they've never seen it but they've heard of the zombie the zombie saying brains thing mm-hmm. and by the way i was wondering how far we'd get into this before you would mention buckaroo bonsai <laughs> it's only a matter of time it is my goal to bring it up on every podcast that i ever do again in my life i was i was wondering if i should or if i should wait till you 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 brought it up my uh my three-year-old in the past like two or three weeks has gotten very into doing things that scare her on purpose. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> which I get like, I mean, that's, a, that's why people watch horror. I think like they, they want to have the experience of being scared, but in like a controlled safe, fear. Controlled way. Someone, so my yeah. three year old, I think, uh, I think she's a little young to start showing her horror movies, but I think she will be a horror fan. When she gets older, because she, I'm, I'm sitting in the booth in my shed. I have a Buck Rubanzai poster up in here. The reason it's in here is because it has the electroids on it. So my, my friend, uh, my friend Ken Plume sent me this poster and I looked at him like, well, I can't put this up. Like the kids told me that they thought they were scary. So I'm like, well, I can't hang it up in the house. So then when I built the booth out here, I'm like, oh, I'll put it up out there. Every day, my child asked me to take it down. She's like, take that poster down. I'm like, it's in a booth in a separate building that you never have to be in. She's like, <laughs> it's existence. Yeah. She's like, I don't like it. I'm like, I, so don't ever, so just don't ever go in daddy's broadcast booth. You don't need to be in there. And then we were out in the yard and she's like, daddy, I want to go look at the Buckaroo Banzai poster. And I was like, oh, I thought you were going to say, daddy, I could feel it looking at me through the wall. <laughs> she like, she came in here to like confront her fear. <laughs> she, like, oh, that's, that's, she came and looked daddy. at it and she's like, we can put it up in the house. I'm like, well, no, now I like it out here. So she was like trying to lobby me to put it up inside. And then she asked to watch Buckaroo Banzai with me. A thing I, I had tried to get her to do before. And she saw the once she saw the electrode, she's like, nope, I'm out. But this time she's like, all right, I'll watch it with me. 
or I'll watch it, but you got to watch it with me. I'm going to put pillows all around me so that I'm safe. Uh, and she was like really into watching this movie, but like you could tell, like when the monsters are on screen, she's like genuinely a little bit afraid, but she's, you know, she's there with her daddy. She's got her toys. She's feeling safe. Uh, I'm like, yeah, that's nice for her. I mean, she's going to take it too far. That kid's fearless. So she's eventually going to like take it to extreme levels. I feel like she was, we had a a stepladder set up because we were doing some yard work outside and she's like, can I climb that? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. And she would like go up one rung and look like a little afraid, but then she would do the next rung and she was like going up. She wanted to go up and over the top of it. I was like, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's unsafe. But my nephew who's eight, uh, his sister, who's uh, 22, she keeps saying that he's a little goth because, <laughs> and I'm just hoping that, just hoping she doesn't go the route he's been going. He just watched The Exorcist, I think this week. He watched it. Um, and I remember one time he started choking on a potato chip, I was told. First words out of his mouth weren't while he's choking. Where's it? Mom, help. I'm choking. Just walked right up to his mom, unable to breathe, and just goes, I'm going to die. Oof. Very calmly. <laughs> like, this is the end, Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he he said he wanted to play the game of life to uh, his cousin, my uh, my other nephew. He goes, I want to play life so this way I can get a family and then become a serial killer and then die. <laughs> yeah, kids are creepy all all day, every day. That's been like my uh, my whole act is mostly just talking about my kids, and it is because I'm afraid of them, and I'm worried that I might do a bad job raising them. Uh, but they do; they say creepy stuff all the time, when, even when they don't mean to. And then now I feel like my three year old's been doing it on purpose lately. <laughs> like she's she's getting scary by choice. Now, do you have things that you collect that they like? No. Uh, everything I collect, they don't like, I've tried so hard to get them into things that I enjoy and more so with my older daughter, because I realized like, that's not the way to go. Like I love star Wars. I would love it if my children love star Wars, but I feel like if I cram it down their throat, they're not going to be into it. Uh, so I will like try that with my kids. Like, you guys want to watch star Wars? And they're like, no, why? Who cares? They, they watched, they've watched the original trilogy now, I think. Uh, but when they added the Ewok TV movies to Disney Plus, I was so excited because those are my favorite Star Wars movies. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I really? can't wait because I had them on VHS, but with like the but my VCR ate the one tape, and we don't have a VCR anymore, so I couldn't show it to them. And I was so excited because like, oh, they'll love this because it's just adorable teddy bears having an adventure. And, and they could not care less about the Ewoks. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, can, just give daddy this one thing. Can we just watch, like, this movie that he loves? Be happy. Yeah. At the same time, I want to say be happy that they're not into the stuff you collect. Because um, I don't have kids, but I have my nephews. And um, one of them lives with me. And then the other one's literally just across town. So we're almost always at his at his house and mm-hmm. um i mean it's no secret my brother passed away almost two years ago yeah and when he passed the one of the things they started discussing uh, a little later on uh, on was 
what are you doing with the guitars? Can I get one of the guitars? Can I get one of the guitars? <laughs> so they start divvying up stuff, which is understandable. Sure. But then somehow the conversation goes to when Ed dies, who's going to get this? <laughs> and I'm in the room. I'm listening. I'm like, but they're talking like if I'm not there. And the two big things um, that I actually have are Ghostbusters stuff, because uh, I was big into Ghostbusters. And they're discussing, you know, well, who's going to get the firehouse? And they're like, well, which one? The new Lego one or the original <laughs> old school toy? But they're all talking about it as if they're, they've got plans to kill me off or something. Like, they, yeah. this is all planned out. And it gets and this is a, an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. And then as they're <laughs> discussing stuff, the 15-year-old gets involved. Then the 18-year-old walks in like, Oh, I don't really want anything unless it's like valuable. So I'm older, so <laughs> I claim dibs on anything valuable first. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't collect a lot of stuff. I like I will like amass things sometimes. Like I I like comic books, uh, but I'm just as happy to like read them digitally online and then not have a big pile of them in my house. Uh, but I have. It's not even really a collection. Like I didn't seek out specific ones. It's just like. I buy a comic book and then I don't want to throw it away, so I just put it in a box with the other comic books, and now I have, you know, a couple hundred comic books just sitting in a closet. And when my older daughter started to read, I was like, "Oh, like I have a bunch of comics. If you want to look at comics," and then I'm like, "Oh, these are like Batman in the '90s comics. These aren't for <laughs> these aren't for you, <laughs> seven-year-old." So then I went out and like we found comics like that she would enjoy, um, but. Yeah, I don't I don't have a ton of stuff. I'm trying I'm like looking around my booth here trying to think if there is anything I like genuinely collect. I mean, I, I have I comics not a anymore. lot. My problem is if I come across something that's horror related in comic, I end up buying it and then I never read it. I have a whole stack here of horror related Yeah, I'm terrible at that too. I I'm such a slow reader because of uh because of the ADD that I'll I'll get some like I have the uh, the graphic novel Bubble, which was based on a, a podcast that I really liked. I'm I'm sure it is a great graphic novel, but I've not gotten through. Even I mean, we brought up Bucker Banzai. Uh, they just put the sequel novel out last year. I've had it since I think it came out in October. I've had it from the day it came out, and I've read maybe fifty pages of it. Mainly because I'm a slow like. I, I'm a slow reader. I don't have a ton of time to read. And also, like, as much as I love the movie Buckaroo Banzai, it, the books, because uh, they're, they're, Earl MacRouch, who wrote the movie, wrote both the sequel novel and, like, the novelization of the first movie. And, uh, man, they're dense books to try to get through. <laughs> it, it doesn't, like, flow off the page. It is. And, uh, to, any, the, and to anyone listening, I just want to re I want to reiterate. I want people to know this man loves Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, it is, it is my, my favorite. You have movie. the red glasses. I do. I I bought red glasses specifically to. I found the closest ones I could to Buckaroos. I have a. I've, I'm, wearing I'm wearing a different pair, but they're black. But I got them to look like uh, Jeff Goldblum's glasses in that movie. Uh, I haven't found a good pair to match Perfect Tommy's, but. That's no, no, perfect, Tommy. You got to get the outfit. <laughs> yeah, I need a, I need a jacket that matches my shirt <laughs> and tie, just one cloth throughout. He's my favorite character, Perfect Tommy. He's, he's, great. Great. I, he's great. I, I keep wanting to read, read it, 
because I f- I'm like, I know there's so much going on in the movie, and I'm like, there is definitely more going on when you read it. There ha- I'm like, there has to be. There's yeah. no way yeah. knowing there how is, movies and, and scripts like. work. I finally got through uh, Across the Eighth Dimension, the book, and uh, it took a while, but it is like, because there's, the, what I love about Buckaroo Banzai is that you do feel when you're watching the movie, like there's way more going on in this world than I'm being shown. Like I would love to learn more about it. And then you find out that there's no more, like that's all you get <laughs> until mm-hmm. 35 years later when they finally put uh, the book out. Um, but in the novelization of it, there is more uh, details on things. Some of it I think works better on the page than it did in the movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. I love it so much. And it's weird. Cause I've only seen, like I only saw it for the first time, like three years ago. It's not like a, a holdover from, it's not like the Ewok adventure, which I love really. Just Cause I loved it when I was a kid. Buckaroo Banzai, I didn't see until my second kid was born. I honestly thought it was something you 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 would mid into for like years, like as no, a child. It's pretty, it's pretty recent. It's one of those things where like I had heard of it and I just I never had the chance to see it uh, because it wasn't like widely distributed for a long time uh, before streaming came out. Like there wasn't a big DVD release or even VHS cassettes were pretty limited. Uh, it was actually because of the movie Ready Player One, uh, which I didn't like. <laughs> but at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the movie, he because he gets like different outfits in the virtual world in that, so he gets Buckaroo's suit to like go meet the girl, and she's like, "Is that the suit from Buckaroo Banzai?" And he's like, "Yeah," and he was like impressed that she knew that. And I'm like, "I remember I've heard of that movie, and I really well, like that." I don't suit. remember that scene. Wow. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, that's a nice suit. Uh, and then that night, or like the next night, I was up with my daughter who wouldn't sleep because she was a month old or whatever. And uh, so I'm sitting there on the couch with her in the middle of the night, and I'm scrolling through Amazon Prime Video, and I saw they had Buckaroo Banzai on there. I was like, oh, that's that movie. All right, I'll watch that. And then 15 minutes into it, I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this is my favorite movie now, even before it was over. Imagine you holding a baby in your arm, sitting at the edge of your seat, bent forward with your mouth open, your eyes wide, just like, <gasps> yeah, barely, well, barely breathing as you watch this. It starts, it's, the opening is a mess. It's very confusing. You, it's, there's a lot going on and it's hard to follow the opening, but then the next scene is the, the, Hong Kong Cavaliers concert and when Buckaroo stops it because he hears somebody crying I'm like this is this is the best movie I think because I as a performer like I relate to that so hard of like all the shots are everybody so into this concert and they're like rocking out and they're doing bad 80s dances and there's one person in the audience not having a good time so Buckaroo's like shut it down we need to figure out why this lady's not enjoying this more because uh, I did a show the other night at a college and there was one kid in the audience who just like pretty clearly wasn't into it. And he's the only person I paid attention to for the whole rest of the show. Like, why? Why? What's your what's your problem? 19 year old. Why aren't you liking this as much as I think you should? <laughs> I have like you said, you you had the book and you didn't even read them. I have the 
Return of the Living Dead 2 graphic novel, it's a continuation of the original story because in part two, the movie didn't really continue from the first movie. Okay. And this novel, now I have it, it was actually written by one of the actors that was in the movie because nothing else, they never continued the story, so he wrote it. I have it. I had, I've had it for maybe a year now. I have yet to open and look actually into one of the inside it. Yeah. Uh, I own it. <laughs> got me the the comic book version uh, that they put that Marvel put out, uh, and that was two issues. And like I can read comics a lot. I have a much easier time reading comics than uh, than prose. So I got through those pretty quick. Uh, but then for Christmas this year, my sister in law got me like the I forget what it was. It was a, a different comic book version. Um, and I, th- I don't know if it was just the two issues together, but I haven't like looked at it, but I've been surprisingly busy with comedy now that things are opening up again, which is a good problem to have, I guess. But I will probably just like frame that and put it up somewhere. You ever heard of uh it's a YouTube channel called Minty's Comedic Arts? No. It's uh it's not even, it's not necessarily comedy. It's a, um, I believe it's an Australian guy, probably about, about your, uh, your age. Australian guy who does m- not necessarily movie reviews, but he tends to do more like the top 10 things you didn't know about this movie. Oh, okay. And I think earlier was this year or last year, he did do one on Bakaru Banzai and he does research and gets information about it. I should send you the link to the Bakaru Banzai one and see and see how much of that you're like, I knew that. I knew that. I'll have I to look it up. That. Yeah. Cause I, uh, I have, I have two Google alerts set up. And one is for Buckaroo Banzai, and the other is for my own name, because I'm a narcissist. Uh, and I get a lot more hits on the Buckaroo Banzai one <laughs> than I do on the one for me. But I do. I get genuinely excited whenever like an article like that pops up somewhere. Somebody's like, hey, I'm just going to write about Buckaroo Banzai for some reason. There were a lot this past year because the, the sequel novel came out. Um but yeah, like I don't know. I love stuff like that. My daughter, my my oldest daughter watches a lot of like that stuff for Disney things where it's like, oh, like 10 things you didn't know about this Disney princess. And so like me like she likes Disney movies, but she likes learning things. <laughs> I think more. Uh like she's deep into Harry Potter right now. And she's read the books, but now she's got like a rule book for Quidditch and she's got like a spell book and all kinds of like she's real getting deep into the details. And that's, I think, the fun part of being a nerd is the part that all the jocks miss out on. Have like extra research. Yeah. Dumb jocks. Take that. We're going to read books we don't have to read. And then um, to wrap things up, Jerk Magazine. It's Jerk The Magazine. Oh, it's Jerk The... Oh, I'm sorry. You don't got to be yeah. a jerk about it. I'm only... I only point it out because Jerk Magazine is something else. It's not Oh, is porn. it really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's jerk Magazine uh, is, I believe, a student pro- uh, production in Syracuse University. But they... It's like social awareness. They're like, we want to jerk people out of... Like the mainstream, con- I'm like, I just want to tell people that they're jerks. Like they're two very different things. Um, so I I put the the in there to try to delineate 
the they're different but no but i like how you di- differentiating that every time if anyone just calls it jerk magazine call you doing that kind of adds makes them remember it more too no it's jerk the magazine yeah well it was i i created this magazine when the pandemic hit because all my stand-up shows got canceled and i didn't have anything to do <laughs> and uh i thought i I had the idea actually a long time ago, but it seemed like so much work. Because uh, the idea is it's a magazine that you pay me to send to people that you don't like. So then they just go to their mailbox one day and there's a magazine in there about what a big dumb jerk they are. Because uh, that's a funny idea to me. I'm like, That'll be, that'd be really funny <laughs> if somebody did that. But then I'm like, oh, who's got the time to write a whole magazine about jerks? And then when a global pandemic struck, I was like, oh, it turns out I do. I've got the time. Um, So I did a Kickstarter for it that was more successful than I thought it was going to be. So I like branched out and I was going to do four issues, um, which I still will. I think the original plan was to do four issues in a year. And there's no way that will happen. Uh, mostly because, like I said, ADD, but also uh, st- like supply chain issues uh, have slowed things down in terms of like working with printers. Um, and then also just uh, it's it was more expensive to produce than I thought it would be. So in terms of like paying contributors, like fill out stuff with articles so the other three issues are coming the next one is a is a calendar you think you, with 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 uh subject matter like that you think you can get advertisers into it? i had i did have a couple people reach out but then when i explained to them what it was because uh, it's not like a true periodical the idea is like it's a novelty thing like when i had the idea and before I was going to do more issues, it was just going to be the one issue. And then that just gets sent out to people, um, as like a one-off. And then I was like, Oh, it would be funnier if they kept coming. (laughs) So we were going to do four. Uh, the next one's a calendar, but all like, it's not a 2022 calendar. It is just like a jerk, the magazine calendar that is evergreen because it is not correct or helpful like uh the dates are wrong i think i took one month out uh one month doesn't have tuesdays all the holidays are in the wrong spot um so the calendar itself is being a jerk yeah like because it's a calendar for jerks so you don't want to give them a good calendar that they could use you want to give them a bad calendar that's going to make them late for stuff i gotta say the name though jerk the magazine kind of does lend itself almost like space balls because now you can do well i don't feel like doing a magazine i'm going to do a pamphlet jerk the pamphlet yeah that's coming handy because it was a lot of work putting like an actual issue of a magazine together uh, so now I can do like ju- issue two is jerk the, the calendar, um, jerk for kids is, I don't know if that's going to be three or four, but it's basically going to be highlights magazine, but for jerks. Uh, so it's like goofus <laughs> and goofus. <laughs> I forget what I called them. It's not, I think, oh, it's go- goobus and worse goobus where it's instead of goofus and gallant where it's like one good kid and one bad kid, it's just like a bad kid and a worse kid. Um, <laughs> It's the like find the differences in these two pictures, but they're exactly the same, like stuff like that. Like, because my kids read highlights, so I'm <laughs> I have a lot of points of reference. Does for it, it. Is there a web? I'm trying to remember if there's a way. I know you have your website, just glentickle.com. Is there a website for the magazine? 
Uh, if you go to jerkthemagazine.com, that's where you can order it. Uh, uh, the magazine's not up there. It probably will be now that it's been out for a while. But And we can easily find you at literally just Glenn Tickle at Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Literally, just look for Glenn, like like yeah. your ex says. There's not, I'm it's easy not to a common name. Yeah, there's two others, and I try to beat them to whatever social media thing pops up. I think there's a uh, another Glenn Tickle in the United States. I think he had the MySpace account. That he offered oh. to me at one point because he's like, I'm not really using it. And he's like, I know you got kind of a brand. And I'm like, oh, I don't think I would use it either because it was after Justin Timberlake bought it and was trying to bring it back. That's when he's <laughs> like, hey, I have the username if you want it. And I think I don't remember if I if I took him up on it. I, I mean, I don't think is MySpace even around at all still. I don't know. It's more of a music-related thing, and even then, I really doubt anyone goes. I mean, I have my band on there, but no one hits on anything. Yeah. Even big bands, I haven't seen any hits on there. Who knows? But um, if you need help, let me know. If you need help on your crusade against the other Glenn Tickles, I'm on your side. Well, the other one in the in the U.S., uh, he's been more receptive. I reached out to both of them years ago when I was doing a talk show uh, that you were on. You were on pretending to be on TV back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But I was going to interview them on the show, but we were going to do it live. And when I called, the Australian Glenn Tickle didn't want anything to do with it. And then the other one was going to do it. And then when I called him from the stage, he didn't pick up. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't, <laughs> there's not really a beef with the other Glenn Tickles. They might not like me, but I think they're both fine. <laughs> Well, just as long as they don't turn on you. Yeah. I do a joke uh, about how there's two of them, and I say that I keep track of them in case there's ever a Highlander situation, but I don't mean it. I'm not really going to behead you, other Glenn Tickle. No, that's why you got me. I'll do it. Yeah. Ed's coming for you, though. I'll take the quickening. Any, It's going to sound grim. Any last words? Uh, No. Uh, Just that it was great talking with you, friend. Yes. Same here, jerk the magazine creator. <laughs> All right. Um, make sure you, uh, you guys check out Jerk the Magazine, Glenn Tickle on all social media. Make sure he see if you can find, you know, where he wears the red glasses. Yeah. Uh, follow me on, on YouTube. I'm going to be trying to put more stuff up there, like longer clips. Oh, and okay. Things. Good. And there's always TikTok where you seem to have uh, a consistent flow of things. Yeah. TikTok, I think, is where I have the, the biggest following of anything. Um, but it's like short clips so i'm kind of limited in what i can put up there so i'm trying to you gotta take what you can get youtube more but i don't know we'll see if it happens thank you for joining us thanks for having me bud i gotta run because my wife's gotta go to work all right cool i'll talk to you later then bye friend bye